Welcome to the Monster Television Podcast. Uh, we're going to talk to you about television and stuff because uh, this isn't Monsters of Crochet. Um, we should do we, that. We should talk about crochet. One I, I mean, I'm not saying that that wouldn't be a, that would be a terrible podcast. I mean, I don't know how to crochet, and of the three of us that are here, I'm guessing Noel. I, I think that you're probably the expert on crochet, right? Like you know how to crochet. I am. Um, I know how to crochet. Do you really? No. Uh, okay. <laughs> If you talked to me when I was seven, I, I would have been able to participate. But now, no, the, 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 those skills are long lost. You, you, your crochet skills are rusty? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's too bad. All right, so with us is only three of the four monsters. I'm Nick. We have Noel. Hello. Karen. Hello. And uh, Matt is uh, pinned uh, into his uh, house by a truck or something. <laughs> that's, that's the rumor on the street. The first thing we should talk about, since we haven't been, we haven't had a podcast in a long time, we should probably talk about something. I think we all watched Game of Thrones finale. It's, uh, decent, mediocre. How did you guys feel about it? I thought it was, like I said in the review, it was it was a very standard season finale for any show, which was oddly refreshing in the sense that it proved that you know HBO can do a regular episode of television. Um, but, I mean, it was a lot of setup for next season, getting everyone in place where they needed to be for next season, since they had tied up pretty much anything that they needed to tie up when they killed off Ned. Mm-hmm. Really. So, no, I mean, it was okay. I mean, I've been lukewarm to the series as a whole, and this episode didn't really change any of that for me. I will tell you that what I thought was going to happen, which was everyone was going to wake up and the entire world was going to be covered in snow, mm. did, that's what I was expecting to happen, honestly. Mm. Um, and I would have kept watching for that reason. If that had happened, I would have been sold for a second. Because that would have been really exciting, but to see Danny naked covered in dragons, meh. <laughs> A, they told me that was going to happen in, like, episode three, mm-hmm. and I was just like, oh, well, that's nice. And I, I've since seen the woman who plays Danny without that horrible, horrible wig, and she's so much prettier without that horrible, horrible wig. I think anybody would be prettier without that horrible, horrible wig. It's, yeah. it well, really except Legolas looks awesome in that horrible wig. It's pretty much the same. <laughs> <laughs> Wow! Yeah, he does. What did you guys think about it? Since I mean, I'm well known my opinions on the series at this point. I'll tell you what, I loved it. Yeah. Isn't that's the first time I've said that all season? I've been kind of, you know, I I still have my issues. I am never, ever, 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 and ever gonna get over the damn scene with Littlefinger and the two prostitutes <laughs> having finger sex for 15 minutes yeah. while he talked about something we already knew. Right. Yeah. We did not need that bit of exposition, nor did we really at all need the two prostitutes having sex for I, 15 minutes. I think we should bracket that and come back to that, because yeah. I, I, I saw some justification for that scene, and I just don't buy that there's any justification for that scene going on. There is on. no justification for that scene. I'm happy to tell. We can come back to that, indeed. But yeah. my point is, so I have my, you know, a lot of people on Twitter, women, have been talking about the gender issues with the show. There was a, Noel, you retweeted this, too. There was a great post this oh, week yeah. 
about Sansa and why people hate her and, you know, comparing her to Betty Draper, which I thought was a really neat move. Yeah. Um, so there's plenty of gender issues to discuss that I think are problematic and I will continue to be problematic. However, it made me so freaking excited for book two. Yeah. Like, more than the more than the book did. Because we, we did finish the book before, during our trips. When we got back, the show had not gotten beyond us, you know. So we, we, were, we, we had been readers for every episode, which is nice. Um, but somehow, you know, just the way it all was built in that final episode really worked for me. I, I, got to, I, I just got a real strong sense of every character having something exciting to do. I think it helped me that Arya in the book kind of just, um, you, you know that the guy finds her, but you don't really know who he is and you don't really know where she's going. Here you get a very clear sense. Not only is she going to see her brother, but she's got the awesome King's Bastard son with her, which is Nito. I don't know if that happens in the book, but that was Nito. So there were like little things that probably are in book two that got foreshadowed here that made me even more excited than the book did. So that was kind of a, I actually thought, improved upon the ending of the book. Although you cannot improve upon Danny and the dragons. It was much cooler in the book. And I'm sorry, that scene should have been even more awesome. But that said, I'm still kind of awesome to see those dragons. I mean, that, that, that's, I thought that was a pretty darn exciting visual to set you up for next, next year. So I mean, I was even more lukewarm on the series uh, than I think you were, Noel. Like, I, I'm not into fantasy dramas at all. And um, except for, like, you know, I got into a couple characters, and uh, Ned dying was totally shocking to me, even though I know that it was ruined for everybody else but me. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, um, yeah. That, so you were super shocked by that? I was. I mean, I knew that. I, I. I mean, I knew that his death was probably coming, but I didn't know it was going to be that soon, and I didn't know it was going to be right then. Uh, I figured that they probably would have waited an episode for it to happen. But um, I might come back for Arya because I like Arya, but like I don't really care. Yeah, and she's going to go up, and you know, I don't know if they're going to try and have her train for you know, to become uh, take the black or what. How long she's going to pretend to be a a boy and right. all, but you know. Joffrey's got it coming to him. He's no, making good. enemies of everyone. Yeah, he's got his awful. uncle coming to kick him in the butt, which is going to be awfully fun. If we actually get to see Tyrion, you know, Being discipline Joffrey, yeah. that could be pretty fun. Um, although it seems like uh, Cersei, that we don't know really what she has to do in the in the next. But I, I think from from some of the not spoilers, but just from some of the stuff I read when I was in it, I was in a panic in the book about Ned. I, I was really freaked out. Like before, you know, I didn't, I, I didn't know anything. I just knew he was in deep shit, and I was very scared for him. And so I had to go online. And I had to look. This is why the book made me much more concerned about certain characters than the TV show has. Mm-hmm. That's one, you know, one of the things Noel talks about, and I think some other people do, is that it's definitely a weakness that you don't necessarily care about the characters as much. Right. Um, in the book, I really cared about Ned, and I was just kind of sick that he. I thought he was going to come to a bad end, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I went and looked. There's a Sean Bean. Can't you survive anything? It is pretty amusing. And the people that were really angry about him dying, I thought that was pretty good. Like, that there were people... I mean, that, that, that certainly showed that the show had developed some sort of some connection for them. Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. Yeah. Although, I don't understand a lot of people that don't feel bad for Sansa. Like, I felt bad for Sansa. Because I felt like that, you know, even though she was a prick and she's the reason why everybody was still in King's Landing when, you know, it all went down. Because she was whining about Joffrey and how she was going to be Joffrey's wife and she was going to be the queen. I think that that was, that totally worked for me, that that switch over where she kind of feels that guilt where it's all her fault. Yeah. 
And um, a lot of people, I mean, I know a lot of people kind of wish bad things on her because it is her fault. But, like, I love how she, she's a, I think she's a different person after she realizes that, that she has this burden on her. And she's willing to, I mean, she, it looks like she's willing to kill Joffrey. She's willing to do whatever it takes in order to take revenge. Yeah. I mean, I like Sansa now. I, it's I hated pretty, her before, uh, and like I like she, her. Now. She, she, it, the, the stuff that happened to her, starting with Lady's death. Once, once Lady died, mm-hmm. I knew Sansa was in deep doo doo too. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was that. That's that, that was a big blow for her. I have other characters I'm still very, very frightened for. Mm-hmm. Rob being the top of my list. Um, Rob, yeah. Yeah, I, I just don't think he's going to make it. Yeah. I, I don't know why, but I, I'm very concerned for him. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, I, I, you know, Sansa's pretty darn annoying. Um, you just, you kind of wish she had more vision. You kind of wish someone had given her the ability to have vision, but nobody did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, when when she has to go look at her father's head, you just, I mean, her future is super bleak. And I, for me, it completely in, in the book too. It took away all of my resentment of Sansa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the, that's it. That's what it was for me. All of my resentment for her, all all that blame I shifted her. Like when when she saw her father's head and she kind of realized what the predicament she was in. That's yeah. All of a sudden, like she became like a, uh, I don't know, a tragic maybe character. I guess she's super. Tra- yeah, I yeah. agree. I know. I think she's actually she's the Shakespearean definition of somebody who has a fatal flaw, mm-hmm. and hers is either vanity or, you know. Like her father, pride, you yeah. know, um, or just following to being too obedient. But yeah, she has a fatal flaw that leads to a really tragic end for her. And I don't know if Sansa is going to die, but I do think she's going to suffer for quite a bit. Yeah. No, I mean she she was a brat, but I mean it's it was really well executed in that. Like Nick, I mean, I never really resented her, but it was just like she's just a brat, and mm-hmm. I didn't like her. But at the same time, it was just like. I was fully aware of the fact that she just hadn't been prepared for any of this. Mm-hmm. It's not her fault that she wasn't... I mean, she's had her head filled with stories of being queen and whatnot, but she wasn't prepared for any of this, mm-hmm. and she wasn't prepared to be betrothed to a sociopath. Right. So, yeah. And her mom's pretty awesome, and I get a sense that Catalan was probably very Sansa-like. I mean, when she describes her home, which we don't get too much of here, but when she was living... And I forget what the name of the land is. It really uh-huh. sounds like it was all flowers and grass and walking through meadows. I, I don't get the sense that Catalan became interesting until Ned. Yeah. Or until she lost the first one and, and you know, the war happened and made and aged her. I mean, some people have to be aged to grow up. They have to suffer to grow up. And I, I once had someone tell me suffering is what makes people interesting. If you haven't suffered, you're probably a pretty uninteresting person. Right. So... You know, this maybe Sansa will become pretty cool. Maybe there's real hope for her now. It's just an unfortunate way to have to go through it. But um, especially with vanity, I think that is kind of it's it's really got to be slapped out of you. Unfortunately, literally in her case. Yeah. And the actress is knocking out of the park. I mean, let's let's. Be yes, I agree. She's doing good. Yeah, she's doing really well. Nailing it really nicely, and I think that's a real testament to that girl's skills, especially as young as she is, because she's about. Sansa's age, I think, that she's supposed to be. So no one's like 40 playing 13. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I think that's a real testament to her skill that she's able to make these really subtle shifts really believable. Right. So do we want to talk about that awful prostitute scene now? <laughs> <laughs> Why did it bother you, Noel? 
Um, well, for many of the reasons you outlined, it was just like, it was wildly unnecessary. Um, like, we didn't learn anything about Littlefinger that we didn't already know, really. Um, but at the same time, carrying on that long, there's a very thin line, I think, between having sexual content in a scene with a monologue and having a really poorly executed porn scene mm -hmm. with a monologue distracting you from that porn. And I think it crosses that line into a porn scene with a monologue distracting you. Well, and my, my concern is even deeper. Why has quality, uh, in a certain sense become equated with that kind of adult content. I don't even know. I mean, part of that, I mean, HBO's edginess of being not TV was always grounded in some sort of sexual content. Mm -hmm. In a weird way, they've, like, circled back with this really explicit sexual content that they've been showing recently to their roots of, you know... Real sex. <laughs> yeah, and other older shows where, I mean, sex was the emphasis. I mean, True Blood is worse, I think, in some regards than Game of Thrones, maybe? I don't, I don't know why it hasn't struck me as that way. Yeah. I guess it's often... This was really gratuitous. I don't yeah. mind sex when it serves a story. And most of the time, it even even the scene where you had um, in True Blood, where you had Alexander Skarsgård having like super fast sex with the random person, and but Sookie came down and saw him doing it, and it was certain... It was a... It was it, the effort, I mean, even though it was somewhat gratuitous, there was an effort to do something with their relationship. Right. He was trying to tweak her. She was kind of like, oh, I'm intrigued, but I'm also horrified. You know, there, there, were, there was still some element of plot mm -hmm. and yeah. character development, and th there was none of that here. Well, so if, if sex and nudity serves the story, I'm not a terrible prude, although this one was especially graphic. So, and I don't know why. Well, I think it serves a purpose at the beginning, I think, where he's talking about, you know, putting on an image of sorts and faking it, basically. Mm -hmm. And there's certainly that element into it. But at some point, I think that metaphor gets really muddled because it goes on way too long. Did yeah. you guys feel at all that it got campy at a certain point? Because that's how I felt about it. I felt that at a certain point, like, you know, while Littlefinger's telling his story, and it's a story that, I've already, that I already know, so it's not new content. And then, so he's trying to tell the story to these two women that are clearly in the throes of something that is not related to whatever he's talking about. It almost it goes on almost so long that it becomes kind of like a campy, funny kind of thing. Like it almost it becomes hilarious to me. Like, Did you read them as enjoying the interaction? I don't think that I don't. I didn't read them uh, like the, the interaction between each other. I, yeah, I mean, I, I was completely superficial about it. I saw that they were doing a thing, and that Littlefinger was kind of an it was almost like the, the, was watching, but didn't really care about what was happening. He was so kind of into himself and into his own story. So it's almost like it was just like um, I don't know. It got it was like funny to me. It was like it started to get campy, and um, yeah, I didn't. I'm not sure. That I didn't even think about what the um, what either of them thought of each other or how they felt like a, in a power relationship with each other because I felt like one was independent of the other. Hmm. I think I would have found it funny had it not been in the same episode as that type of uh, Tywin Lannister dress, dressing down that stag, mm. which I think was just. A nice example of, like I wrote, was like that's what these exposition talking scenes should really tell us something about the character aside from what they're talking about. 
Yeah, that was an excellent scene. It's excellent. I mean, it's an introduction to this character who's been looming over the uh, for the past couple episodes now. And we get to see this guy methodically just take the steer apart. And I'm convinced that that actor's been doing it for years in real life, because he was just doing it so seamlessly. Mm-hmm. But it told us everything that we needed to know about Tywin Lannister in one scene. Regardless of what he was talking about, I mean, we got to see how meticulous and careful and precise he was in his actions, not only with what he was saying, but with what he was doing. So it served a dual purpose, and that was really, really impressive. The rest of these type of heavy exposition talking scenes where people are just standing around and, you know, speaking to one another, whether or not it be two women having sex with one another or having sex with a prostitute in the bathtub... That doesn't tell us anything beyond what they're saying, really. We're not learning anything else about these characters. It's just, oh, they're not going to pay attention, so boobs. <laughs> yeah, and this, this show is so economical. I mean, they have so much to do. that I don't, it, it annoys me in particular when they waste scenes yeah. like that. Um, but I really, I, you know, I, I have to keep pushing this thing. I mean, I felt like at that point... A Game of Thrones made it very clear to me that in no way was I their audience. Period. What for them, the quality audience they're looking for is explicitly and unavoidably male, or yeah. perhaps lesbian if lesbians are into that, which I doubt. But you know that it's a hetero male too. Let's let's even go more more narrow. Like they have no interest in me at all. Yeah. To the point that they were willing to alienate me, mm-hmm. and that's really kind of offensive. So I mean, I mean, let's even take their one like quick nod to homosexuality that they've done between uh, Renly and the Night of Flowers, and you get that for me was an oddly campy, explicit scene where the Night of Flowers goes down and you just hear loud slurping sounds. Was that yeah? That was completely unnecessary. And I'm just like, wow. It wasn't sexy. It wasn't sexy, and it wasn't subtle. I mean, there wasn't anything... Particularly because it was kind of a tender scene between them. Like, they were kind of relating to each other, then all of a sudden it's like, all right, time for you to get the business. It was a very... This is a good point. When has has Game of Thrones ever been sexy? Uh, never? Like, I've I've never watched Game of Thrones. ever been sexy. This is even a a bigger point, I think, that... Mm -hmm. Even though they're throwing all these boobs and the occasional penis in, it's never arousing. It's never enticing. It's mm-hmm. never... I don't know. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So well, how is sex portrayed in the books? Like, I mean, I'm only, like, through, like, episode three, I think, in the book right now. Well, see, here we have to go back to the first time with the call and... Uh, Which, I read that, and, I mean, it was a nicely... It was actually fairly tender, actually. Yes, it was very tender, but explicit. Still, they talk about yeah. when he touches her and all of these things. So it's it, it's explicit, but for a point. And, and for me, actually, you know, I, I, I've described this before, but I had so much anxiety about what was going to happen to that poor girl on her wedding night. I just pictured her ripped open. Um, and so for it to be that tender, the, the explicitness there was almost like the appropriate compliment yeah. to the level of my anxiety. Like It made sense. Um, and I think that, that occasionally I, I saw some spark of what could have been between those two actors, but I really didn't get that sense of, of sexual spark between the two of them. And it's it's very much there throughout the whole book. I mean, part of the part of the, the book's point, I suppose, about her strength is that she also part of her learning to come into her own is learning to take control of her body. Yeah. 
which is something she definitely did not have with her brother. And so it's interesting that she does it with her husband in that relationship. I mean, she does have to be taught, but she certainly accepts her role and part of how she expresses it is is sexually. So um, that works for me more. You know, I... um, I, yeah, I'm trying to think of what else in the book is ever sexy. I mean, we we definitely have a scene with Catalan and Ned in bed early on. You probably read that one already. Yeah, but and that's I, kind of, that could have been sexy. I would have liked to have seen some sexy with them. Well, I mean that that scene in the books was just like I I found that just very comfortable. Really, was how he described it, and from Caitlin's Caitlin's perspective, it was just that comfort of you know we've done this a, a lot of times before. There's a routine established. But there's still an affection for that. Yeah. So, I mean, it felt very nice, I think. But I don't think it was, like, necessarily sexy, really. I suppose the, the sexiest thing we have is Tyrion and, Sh- Sh- what's her name, Shay? Shay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because she seems to be able to hold her own. We actually have, I don't know what her history is yet. I haven't discovered that. I'm sure there is one. Um, but that, I, that, that there's potential, actually, in that relationship to have and something I mean, because there's an intense amount of chemistry between those two actors as well. I mean, like you said, that they there's a character that can sling back his quips at him and mm-hmm. rattles him. Nothing rattles this man. Yeah. So yeah, there's, there's potential, but it, it 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 it's to me it's an even bigger epic fail that not only was the sex not useful in the storytelling, not only was it not actually advancing anything, but even worse, it was never sexy. So what's the point? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, to, to say that the, the nudity and the Treme's carnival scenes is sexier than the scenes that are in Game of Thrones is probably pretty sad. <laughs> is this true? It's actually true. And it's not, they're not sexy at all. And, by the way, there's almost no nudity in, carnival, in the carnival sex scenes on, on uh, Treme. Like, there's a couple of flashes, but they're so quick and so not important that it's... Like you would think that with the way with HBO's reputation that they would go all out. It's like a carnival scene, like it's Mardi Gras in New Orleans. We get to show boobs all the time, and nobody can say anything. But yeah, it's, they're all like very quick, very quiet, and then you go back to some other very important, uh, you know, emotional scene with a lot of their very strong female actors. It's um, yeah. So that, that that's something that I drew from. Game, from Game of Thrones, it's like there's a lot. I see a lot of nudity, a lot of full frontal nudity that I even I'm a little surprised by. And uh, yeah, Treme uh, was a scene that has almost I, I don't want to say an excuse, but you know you would expect to have a lot more nudity going on during Mardi Gras in New Orleans. And I see way more things going on in Game of Thrones, and none of it's sexy. None of it. I, so a lot of it is not even driven by anything. It's just kind of ah boobs. It's like almost—it's almost like they are trying more to get on MrSkin.com than they are trying to uh, actually put together content. So there's a couple of pretty significant fails here. I mean, you guys are saying you you don't really care about the the characters, with a couple of prime exceptions, but yeah. largely you don't care about them. You don't. The stakes aren't really clear for you in a way that arouses your interest or anxiety or attention. True. Um, the sex is sometimes alienating, but almost always purposeless. Yeah. Um, so the plotting, the plotting, you know, I know at first you guys were kind of lost and who are all these people. Did the plotting get, how did that work for you? I never had a problem with the plotting. Like I, like I know Matt struggled a little bit, but um, I, I never had that big a deal with the plotting. Mostly because, uh, except for being able to tell the difference between some of the people. Because there's a lot of people with dark hair and beards in the show. 
Yeah. And um, so I had trouble with my facial recognition in some of those areas. But um, other than that, like, I really didn't have much, especially once they uh, dropped snow into Night's Land or into the, uh, near, near the wall. Um, like, I was so, totally fine with that. Uh, I, and uh, part of it is also because maybe I'm not trying to completely understand all the politics going on. Like, I know that, you know, I know some guys are bad and I know some guys are kind of questionably <laughs> bad. And that's all I really care about. Um, I don't need to understand fully. Like I'm not quite sure still about the uh, the quest for the throne. Like why um, why Danny's why Dan, I guess Danny now would be the is kind of destined for the throne or whatever. Or why she has any claim on the game uh, on the throne? But again, that doesn't matter. I mean, it's, she'll march in there with the uh, with her who's what's left of her army and. I guess. It is funny though that you know Sansa. This going back to this 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 um, wonderful post by Erica. You know, part of why people are so annoyed by Sansa is because she's always just doing what people tell her to do. But when you think about it, Danny wanting to go get the throne is just because she was told from day one that she was supposed to. Yeah. Uh, Cersei too, pr- trying to get her kids on the throne or whatever, just because her dad wanted her to. She doesn't seem to have any personal ambition for it necessarily. Right. You know, and I'm not sure what you, I, I you know. I do know that there's there's some prophecies apparently that I, I don't that are not happy ones. So I'll read more about that in book two. But I don't think that Cersei believes anything good is going to come of this necessarily. So it's kind of interesting. That nobody seems to really want the throne in a way that you know, like like Noel, didn't you write this? You know, who wants to be a better king or whatever? You know, no one yeah. seems to really have a strong drive to make the world a better place. But everyone is just going crazy and willing to die over this horribly uncomfortable throne. <laughs> I mean, nobody's, nobody wants to sit there all day. No. Um, and, and yet, it's, it's, but we don't actually know what the throne means yet. It is kind of fascinating. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that, that, I mean, while the plotting, I think, kind of improved in the second half, um, but for me... What it boiled down to was the fact that I just don't think that this is a series that needed to be watched on a week-by-week basis. I think it was a series that they should have shown across two weeks, Monday through Friday, and then capped it. I think that the show's sense of pace would have improved significantly. Mm. And I think that it would have... I think the show itself would have improved a lot because the salon critic was kind of lukewarm on the series. And then he watched like all nine of the episodes in really quick order. And he was just like, Oh, it all makes sense now. And it's just like, if that's how the show needs to be watched, then why am I watching it on a week by week basis? You say it's more of a mini series type thing than it is a series. I guess. And that was something that was coming up a lot was the idea that HBO's programming is intended to be a mini series now. Mm. And if that's the case, then I shouldn't be watching it on a week-to-week basis. Hmm. And they shouldn't be showing it to me on a week-by-week basis. And, I mean, we all know, like, I mean, television episodes of this day and age are really just advertisements for the DVD box set. Ha. But at some point, it's just like, well, if I shouldn't be watching it on a week-to-week basis, why are you scheduling it that way? Why aren't you just giving it to me on DVD? Because they did um, the Gabriel Byrne show every day and it didn't work. So they yeah. already tried that model. Well, there was there were other things going on within treatment. I mean, like, there were weird episode run times for that as well, weren't there? Yeah, I suppose that's true. Yeah. I mean, how long was an episode of in treatment? 23 minutes. Yeah. So, I mean, a little weird for them. 
I really like that show. I'm not. I'm not going to knock it. I actually no, 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 no. It's a really fun experiment. But um, but I, yeah, I'm wondering if like would Game of Thrones be an event? That's the kind of thing you really commit to in the yeah. summer when nothing else is on. Like yeah, that that would be a really interesting idea for it. I, I actually kind of makes me want to watch it all again. You know, I, I can't decide for me if the series works despite all these things we've been talking about that are problematic that I certainly hear you on. You know, because I've read the book, I have a different context, so I can't separate it. But, um, you know, so is it just that it's an adaptation, and therefore it's fun to see these people come to life? And that, that for me, is such the joy that that's enough. Oh, I think it goes back to my original point from my very first point post about it, was that I really think that this is a show for fans of the franchise. And I think anyone else that they draw in, clearly they're drawing people in based on reactions to Ned's death, is just icing on the cake, I think. Mm. But for me, it's very much a series intended for readers of the books. Yeah, I wonder. And I definitely think, I mean, even with the acknowledgement that as a reader I have a different relationship with it, for me, it was definitely, I, th- I think, more in- engaging, just because there were at least, I don't know, there were characters I cared about more, despite, I, I understand what you're saying about ambivalence, but then that awful, awful, wretched Boardwalk Empire. Uh-huh. The more people said how much they liked it, the more I began to despise it. It was actually fine. It got much better as it went along. But, you know, I, I, the more I watch of HBO, the more I begin to wonder if they even make good shows. I don't even you know. It's some, they, they, do, they do something else. There's something else that they do, whether it's just chutzpah or ambition or hubris. There's something else that they do that makes people super excited about them, but I'm not sure it's necessarily good TV. Well, I think that not only, I think that's something to tackle um, and think about some more, because I mean, I've never been a fan of really any premium cable programming, um, except like Curb Your Enthusiasm, I really enjoy, but that's a whole separate animal, I think. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what you get to with this idea of, you know, ambition and hubris, I think we can provide a nice segue, if you're willing, to the killing. (laughs) And that final episode. (laughs) (laughs) You know, here's the problem. I haven't yet read the interview. I don't know what people have referred to interviews with her. I know Seppenwall did one, right? Yeah. Uh, Because apparently the the creator of this show... Ina Sud. Sued, sued. sued has just no clue how badly she effed it up. Ah, I was I, I was like really curious for your reaction to this because I mean you've been posting periodically about the show. Um, so what did you think about that last episode? I think it was I... kind of inexcusable. Okay. Um, yeah. Now, now the things I like about the show are still there. I just wish that was the show I was watching. Right. You know, and even when I watched that episode that I, the last post I wrote about it where I was kind of excited and see what was just the two partners driving around the whole show, I was like, boy, this is great, but it's not the killing, you know, so I like a show that is not the killing. I like a show that I've created in my own head. It's this an entirely different story, scenario. It clearly has nothing to do with anything this woman has created. So whatever show she and AMC think they have, I haven't been watching it. And the show that I have been watching... That, that they that they've created I mean it, it left you hanging in an enormous way and you don't know I, I compared I wrote about this on, wrote about Rubicon 
because I'm very frustrated that we actually have two shows here that were all kinds of, you know, we don't really know who's done it and everything's kind of suspicious and whatever else. And yet, and both kind of didn't hit the landing. And yet, Rubicon was so, so, so clearly a superior show on so many levels. And it's a little frustrating to me that the one that was actually much easier to describe, more, more high concept, yeah. is the one that got the second season. Yeah. Well, no, I will always, always bemoan Rubicon's cancellation. And that's just going to be something we all accept. But here we have a second a second show that I think you could actually draw some parallels. No, absolutely. I mean, I'll defend the finale of Rubicon until, you know, the day I die. But I understand where people are coming from when they weren't satisfied with the ending of that, mainly because I really feel like the that finale was intended to for that pilot. Mm. Not for the show that Rubicon became after like three episodes. You think the show developed in different ways? Yes, and it developed in different ways because they changed showrunners and executive producers and whatnot. But the guy who came in after the first couple episodes was straddled, was saddled with this conspiracy theory plot that he had to work through and provide some sort of resolution for, and he tried to do that. Yeah. In a way that I very clearly think that the killing has not done. Um, I will say that with the killing finale, I wasn't frustrated or angry or I didn't feel betrayed by the show mainly because I'd given up on caring who killed Rosie Larson episodes ago well I'm not sure I ever really care because Rosie was never really a character right um, you know she's she's just been so off in the background but you know there was no resolution on really any level well and that's that's where that that's where for me it was just like while I felt like let down but not like invested in in that sense of being invested let down just kind of let down that oh okay that's how you're going to do this yeah yeah people that's- thought that this people joked a lot about how Lyndon's not a very good cop but i think the reason she's not a very good cop is because this show didn't really want to be a murder mystery show no like despite the fact they marketed it that way they they would have actually wanted there to be clues that led in some sort of logical manner at some point to some sort of reasonable resolution. And instead, they want to be a conspiracy show. Yeah. Because it's a much bigger conspiracy, blah, blah, blah. And I don't know how a cop investigates that necessarily. Like, it just it's taking it away from Lyndon for me. Yeah, I agree with that. Absolutely. I think the other challenge that I had with it wasn't, was not, I even, I had an expectation that they would resolve the Rosie Larson mystery here. In large part because, while I don't think it's important who killed Rosie, ultimately, but the impact that Rosie's death had on all these people, I think, is what is important. And by carrying it over like this, and all the weird stuff they've done throughout the episode, throughout the series, from Bennett being in a hospital and probably never waking up, um, to the weird Mystic River type stuff going on with Mm. Larson's family, was I wanted some way to feel resolved about all those strands that Rosie's death caused. And that's what I didn't get, and that's why I'm not coming back for a second season, is because I I was emotionally prepared for that, those things to be 
ended and for some sort of resolution to happen and the next case and the impacts of that case to happen. But I think the important question is where did we get the expectation that, that was going to, any of that was going to be resolved? I think, again, some of that came from the marketing, absolutely. And I think AMC's finally admitted that, yeah, we wouldn't have um, put so much emphasis on that had we known that you all would have expected that to happen in a season. Um, but I also think for me just, I can't see, for me also just from a storytelling perspective, I can't see those emotional arcs of, say, the Larson's family carrying over another season in any interesting way. Right. And, I mean, even when, you know, he agrees to go to jail for what he's done, and then his wife is just like, what did you do? And she's just like, I did what you told me to do, bitch. Right. Yeah, you know, I, I, I'm not, um, this isn't a finale kind of angst, like yeah. what occurred with Lost. And I was a fan of the Lost finale, so I'm not trying to go and dig up that. But Matt's not here, so someone had to say it. <laughs> <laughs> but, um... So it's certainly not on that level because, again, we didn't care enough about anyone to really... We're, it's more that people invested time and the show didn't deliver in a, in a rather particular way that people thought it was going to deliver. But what I haven't thought about at all, personally, is am I going to come back for a second season? And again, because I don't feel personally like maligned here. Yeah, neither do I. I'm, I'm just disappointed of, that it wasn't yeah. as good a show as I thought it was. Yeah. And so I'm kind of like... You know, there's an awful lot of shows on, especially since the creator doesn't seem to want to at all admit that maybe that, you know, there was more that could have been done or this or that, that she's kind of defiant and saying that the show was just exactly the way I wanted it. Well, if that's the way she wanted it, then I probably don't want to watch her show. Yeah. Well, she, so I don't know. I haven't put a ton of thought into it. But I, yeah, I have to think about it when it comes around next year and see what the heck else is on. Hopefully Mad Men will be back, right? So we'll have that to, to watch. But. <laughs> Well, it was funny, because she was just like, I didn't want to do a formulaic cop show, because I had done a formulaic cop show for years. She did Cold Case on CBS. Mm. And she was just like, I didn't want to do that. And I was just like, well, I don't think you quite knew what you wanted to do in the first place. Looking at the span of your 13 episodes here, and, I mean, you're adapting from another television series, and I'm not entirely convinced that you had a firm grasp on where you wanted to go with this. Yeah. And I'm not entirely convinced that I want to go on to another case with you next season because they've said that there will be a new case next season as well as resolution for the Rosie Larson issue. Now they're saying there's going to be resolution? At some point, yes. At some point, yes. And I'm not entirely convinced that I'm interested in that show. I'm not entirely convinced I'm interested in a show where Holder's a dirty cop because I think he was much more interesting as a junkie recovering cop who got into, who Miami Vice himself into deep, basically. Yeah, who actually cared about uh, rehabilitation or redemption, you know. Yeah, he was much more interesting when you had an idea that he was looking to redeem himself. And the interplays between him and Lyndon indicated that. And just to have that rug pulled away, I think for me, especially after that really gorgeous episode where it's just the two of them looking for her son, I just felt really unnecessarily duped. Yeah. And it just didn't work for me. And I'm, it's more out of a cool 
indifference that I'm not coming back for a second season at this point. Yeah, and I'm not, and I, I, I did want to also point out that I don't like to beat up on female showrunners because they don't happen all that often. So I do want to reiterate that even though I'm disappointed by the show that she apparently wanted to write, part of that does come from the fact that AMC misled me. That yeah. the whole the whole team, the whole system there was not on the same page. Yeah. So their audience was not on the appropriate page. And, you know, like with Terriers, it's another great example that you have to know how to sell your show. Yeah. And not just in a way to get us to show up. Because if you can show up, get us to show up and then we're angry, that really doesn't help you either. And, and, and I will never, ever, ever get, recover from the fact that we've been down this path before and it was called Twin Peaks. <laughs> and there's a lot more to recommend Twin Peaks. Yeah. But that we, we've had these same conversations before about whether a show was supposed to deliver on a murder mystery and whatever else and what happened when it didn't and this and that and the creator being defiant about wanting to do something different. I mean, this is not... It's just amazing to me that she did not learn from the, the situation of, with Twin Peaks. Well, it's really funny because she claims to have never seen Twin Peaks. I don't care if you've seen it or not. You've probably heard about it. Yeah. I mean, you know, who killed Laura Palmer? Who killed Ro- Rosie whatever? I mean, I can't even remember her name now because Laura Palmer just takes over. I mean, it is... There's. I'm sure someone will ho- hopefully at some point draw this out a little further for me because I think, again, the connections are, are there. Yeah. Um, but that, that, that lesson yeah. was not learned in general by television. And Twin Peaks had much more going for it beyond who killed Laura Palmer. Yes. So. I'm really happy that I never got into the killing. Just <laughs> so happy about that. <laughs> Tell us about Wilfred. I mean, you watched Wilfred, yes? I did watch Wilfred. Um, Here's the thing okay, about hold on. This is, this is Lord of the Rings guy, right? Elijah? Yes, Elijah Wood. I like to consider him more of the guy from North, but you can go Lord <laughs> of the Rings if you want. Um, Elijah Thank Wood, you. yeah, is in, is in this flick, or in this show. Here's the thing about uh, about the show. I was super into it, and I think that as soon as, uh, um, as, soon as I saw some of the promotional materials for it, because I don't watch a lot of commercials, so I, I didn't really know about it until very, very recently. Like, I heard about it, but I hadn't seen any kind of commercials for it until recently. And as soon as I saw, like, a lot of the trailers and a lot of the, the behind-the-scenes stuff that they had on Hulu, I think I tweeted all of you guys immediately. It was like, I'm covering Wilford. Yeah. The problem was is that uh, I saw all that commercial, promotional stuff for Wilford, which means I essentially saw the episode before I watched ah. the episode. And... Um, so the sh- there's a lot of potential for Wilford. Uh, I think that, um, but uh, I think that the pilot does not necessarily execute on the potential that the show has. Um, I'm not sure what I'm not sure where they're going, and I think that there's somebody on Twitter that mentioned that uh, it's going to be really hard to sustain this for a long-term series. Like this might have been okay, like a Harvey kind of movie. But it's but to sustain this for longer than for like thirteen episode stretches or however long it's going to go, it's going to be it's going to be interesting to kind of maintain the joke. I mean, the joke is that Elijah Wood sees a dog as a person and as a person in a, a horrible dog suit, and that's the premise is that he he sees this. I'm not sure how long that that joke is going to go on and not get old. Um, yeah, because I, I, everybody else treats. Everybody else treats this human dog like an actual, like an actual dog, and there's like you know, there's little jokes like you know, he runs after a motorcycle, and say, "I'm gonna kill you," like a dog barking after a, you know, the mailman would would go. 
I mean, there's right. stuff like that. That there's so there's built-in jokes in here that are really funny. Stuff that like you know anthropomorphizing dogs. I get that. I just I am curious <laughs> about how long they're going to try. They're going to be able to keep this going. Well, it's based on something else, right? Yeah, so it's based on an Australian series, right? I wonder how long that one last lasted. I don't know. It's Australia, so they have crap TV anyway. So oh, so it doesn't matter. Okay. It doesn't matter. It's, well, not, it's I, not like BBC where they have great television that they, they compete with. Australian TV is freaking awful. I read this, um, the review for it in The Hollywood Reporter, and that's what made me kind of interested. Other than the fact that, you know, I do think Elijah Wood tries to be quirky and tries to do some interesting things. Mm-hmm. So just to, I, I may not always love his choices, but I'm always interested in his choices. Mm-hmm. And so he was very I, good. He was very I definitely good think show. we're going to check it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, you know, plus, um, you know, what, what, what is it following? Is it what night is it on? It's, it's uh, right uh, before Louis. Right. So I have you know flow right there. I'm going to be watching Louis every week. So mm-hmm. that we're all, we're probably almost always check out Wilfred, but we just haven't gotten to it yet. But I, I'm I'm kind of interested. I you know, let's go weird. Let's yeah. go ahead and do that with a comedy. I'm I'm willing to. See how that goes. And I'm I'm with FX for trying out new stuff like this. Like you know, they tried out Terriers, and it, sadly it didn't uh, make it. But you know, Terriers is a good show like that. I mean, it's not weird like Wilfred, but you know, FX is willing to take some chances, and I'm cool with that. Um, and this show, like I said, they, they, there's a lot of built-in comedy here. There's a lot of places that they can go. Um, how deadpan a lot of these characters are is really cool. Not really with how they portray their female characters just yet. They're very. Uh, very mm. superficial so far. Well, uh, they, it is. Yeah, true. Um, yeah, <laughs> but I mean, the sister character is very cliche, overbearing sister. The next door neighbors. I mean, literally the girl next door. Um, it's you know, it's whatever. It's um, it, it's so they have time to build those those characters, and they have time to kind of hopefully make the, those jokes sharper and kind of. Because right now there's uh, there's the the big twist in this is that um, Wilfred the dog is he's uh, he's kind of not only is he helping Elijah Wood's character out, but like trying to make him a better person, trying to make him you know take control of his life in a life that he doesn't have any control of. But he's but uh, Wilfred's also sabotaging uh, Elijah Wood's character. He's mm. a, like uh, he's also you know getting him into trouble and uh, you know you know putting him in compromising positions all the time. Yeah, huh. it's interesting places for it to go. The pilot is not. I have. To, I'm gonna have to watch a couple more episodes before I can kind of judge the series and whether I want to watch it some more. Because, like I said, a lot of the jokes were kind of already played out by the time I started watching the pilot. Like, oh, I saw that one. Oh yeah, he chases after the motorcycle. Oh, that's kind of funny. He motorboats this waitress. So yeah, <laughs> there is a part where he motorboats a waitress. The dog, not Elijah Wood. That'd be weird. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, there's, there's like, like I said, yeah, a lot of potential, but the pilot is not the strongest episode, hopefully, of the series. Okay, well, I, uh, I do plan to check it out. So the next time we talk, hopefully we'll have a couple more under our belts and we'll be able to see where it's at. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh, I haven't watched it, but, I mean, just judging from all of this, I can safely say that if Wilfred was a cat, none of this shit would be happening. <laughs> because the cat would just run away like, or go off and do its No, the thing? cat just wouldn't care. Yeah, yeah. So, it's like, go I mean, ahead and kill yourself, man. What, what, what are you waiting for? <laughs> so, uh, speaking of FX, you watched uh, Louie, right, Karen? Mm-hmm. I did watch Louie. 
How was it? Um, I have I haven't been a- I was never able to get into Louie last season. I tried. Oh really? But I just I something about it just like kept me at arm's length. Um, so I'm with you on that. Like, like I like the first episode and the last episode of the first season, and like the rest of it like had its moments. But for the overall, like I'm not I wasn't with the series. Yeah. So tell me about Louie. Why should I watch Louie aside from the fact that I would be caving to peer pressure? Louie. Is about you know this comedian who has two kids that he is determined to be an equal father to as the divorced wife. So she gets him half the week, he gets him half the week, and he's being a comedian and going to stand up. So it's you know Seinfeldian in that it has the stand up and then has the actual like guy's life that you see. Yeah. But because Louis C.K. is in charge of everything, he writes it, he edits it. I mean, it's, he produces it. That the show is just straight out of Louis's mind. Mm-hmm. It is very messy. And doesn't always gel. And yet, when it hits, it's pretty darn impressive. So you kind of wait just to see where the heck it's going to go and what this crazy guy is going to do. It's it's breaking all kinds of models. In, in There was a nice profile of him in New York Magazine that I actually had my students read because he was talking about how there is nobody that oversees what I do here. I just do it. I put it together, and they air it, you know? <laughs> so if you want to see someone just blow up the sitcom, it's just fun to watch just for that. Mm. But, um, you know, there's some tenderness. There's some actual pain. Um, he, ha- he, ha- he, you know, he has his nicer moments, but there's also just some really brilliant comedy and social commentary. So my girlfriend, who has three children and therefore has a very, very rough life. They're all boys. She's very tired. She stays home with them. I told her to watch Louie because he's constantly talking about the parts of being a parent that just suck. And that's that's one example of ways that he just kind of resonates. And I think he can resonate with you in all kinds of different ways. That's one of the more obvious ones because that's what he's dealing with. His actual life, Louie does the same thing. He's got his kids half the week. He refuses to ever tape on the days he has his kids. He only does it the three days that they aren't with him or whatever. Um... So it's, a, it's just an interesting peek into a, a man's brain that I, I really enjoy his stand-up. So. His stand-up is very good. I, I'm a big fan of his stand-up, too. Yeah, so to watch him try to create a series that's about his life but not about his life, is, it's kind of fascinating. And, because, and I like things that are messy. I have no problem with the fact that the editing is jumpy and that things may not connect and plot points may not be you know resolved in any usual way. But that's, that's not what the show is trying to do. So, uh, I don't know if that's a recommendation because you, I think you have to be ready for a certain kind of show to be willing to right. go on this ride. But um, you know, I, I when, when like I said, when he's on, he is way on. It, it's it's the kind of thing that you do, you don't want to be the one missing it. You said the same thing about Parks and Rec. Well, Parks and Rec is a totally different thing. Yeah, though. I know. I was only teasing you. <laughs> no, I I definitely think you're missing out, but. As somebody who studies television, watching a show that's trying to do it very, very differently is worthwhile for anyone that just studies TV to see what happens when you blow up all the usual expectations of a sitcom. When you don't care about through line, when you don't care about you know a resolution by the end of the half hour, when um, sometimes humiliation is kind of the point or what have you. Well, I watch Curb Your Enthusiasm. Well, then you might be into this. <laughs> Louis way more likable than the guy in Curb. Who the whole point of him is that he's not likable. I, I like that he's not likable. <laughs> well, I know, but that, that's why I'm saying that's a different kind of show. So watch this version of that same thing. <laughs> but then I watched the Paul Reiser show. 
Oh, ha, ha. <laughs> and apparently Paul Reiser's way worse than Larry David. So. <laughs> it's true. Yes, you might need to watch Louie to get the Paul Reiser show's bad taste out of your mouth. Oh, God, nothing's going to get that taste out of my mouth. No, no, I'd like you to watch it, because I'm curious what somebody... You know, I'd, like I said, I told my friend, the mother, to watch it, even though Louie's pretty foul-mouthed and, mm-hmm. you know, likes to just... You know, so the, the joke on the, the premiere was that he had his pregnant sister with him, and uh, she just kind of decided to do it on her own, and they have a very tender talk about it. And then she wakes up in the middle of the night with all this pain, and it's pain and pain, and the baby's not due yet, and there's a side story about the neighbors that come and help. But Louie's freaking out. His sister's maybe losing the baby. He doesn't know what's happening. They get to the hospital, and you find out it's gas. <laughs> now, that is come somewhat ridiculous, right? But you have to actually watch the degree to which this woman is freaking out and what it does to Louis and the relationship that he develops with the neighbors, which is really what it's about. It's about him trying to develop a relationship with the neighbors, interestingly. Mm -hmm. Um, Is that the same neighbor from the scene from last year, the one that uh, he talked about? No. There is no... That's the thing. There's no continuity. Uh, Fair enough. Fair enough. I don't know if we'll ever see these neighbors again. We'll have to... Um, Louie got to do a nice little, you know, bit on it at the very end of the episode. So these neighbors may have only shown up to justify the bit at the end of the episode. I'm not sure. <laughs> but, you know, normally I would be really furious about that. One, because it's boy humor. It's 10-year-old boy humor. The minute you end with a fart, you know, come on. So this isn't really a show that's, that, sh- that should be up my alley. Because I'm a little more delicate than that. <laughs> and yet, somehow... Somehow, I, I still enjoy this show. So, um, come on. If that's not a recommendation, I don't know what is. I've never thought of you as delicate. Aw, oh, come on. I'm a little flower. <laughs> like a petal. Yes. Let me know what you think, because I'm, I'm kind of interested to have someone else be able to discuss this show with me. I mean, it's, a, it's like a half hour of your life. It's such a short period of time. But there's nothing on this summer. Suits is on the summer. Okay, what is Suits? What is this? Um, Suits was okay. What channel is it on? It's on USA, so that tells you half of what you need to know about the show. That's why I'm not watching it. All right. (laughs) Um, Blue skies. Yeah, and I mean, it was kind of blue skies-y, kind of. I mean, I think it's definitely their darkest show. Really? In the sense that people actually swear on it, which is interesting. Oh my goodness. Which, I mean, has never happened yet. I mean... On USA. I was talking about this on Twitter with um, Charlotte, who was kind enough to do some of my Supernatural stuff. Um, Was for for networks that has ex-spies, criminals, even though they're con artists, but they also go undercover for less savory folks, no one swears on USA for some reason. Hmm. And and she also pointed out that it was very unlikely that anyone was going to swear on necessary roughness. Professional athletes aren't going to swear. That's ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, the whole point is USA is going really, really broad, right? They're not actually they're not doing the niche thing. Yeah, and they've never really done a niche thing. I mean, they're doing broad programming, really. Yeah. And um, suits, I think, is I mean, they they're aiming for kind of a white collar vibe in that they shoot in New York City, and they do a lot of nice shots in New York City. And But the show for me just never really kind of 
gelled in interesting ways, I think. Um, the guy who plays the genius with the, um, the photographic, super photographic memory, um, Patrick Adams, is great, I think. He deserves a much better show than what he has right now. Hmm. Um, and his chemistry with the other guy, Harvey Specter, who's the suave super lawyer type, um, is good. But I never get the sense of why I need to care about Harvey's job. Because part of the reason is that he hires Mike, who's the Patrick Adams character, who hasn't gone to law school as an associate at this major law firm. And the big thing is, well, what if, if they find out that he's he hasn't gone if they find out that Mike hasn't gone to law school then Harvey loses his job as well Harvey doesn't seem to care about his job because <laughs> yeah. um, he pawns off the pro bono case on on uh, Mike in the first episode which I mean makes sense it's a pro bono case you're of course the big lawyer is of course too busy to do the pro bono case but it was just like I'm not quite convinced that you care about your job at all, really. Hmm. So I was just like, okay. So there's nice banter back and forth between the two of them. Um, Mike has a drug problem in which he likes to get high off weed. And there's little things going on with his personal life. He's trying to save his mom, um, who's slowly losing it. She's in a retirement home right now. Um, but it's it's the old lady from Wings. Oh, Cool. And and I'm with Todd Vanderwolf over at the AV Club, where immediately anyone from Wings gets something bumped up quite a bit. Yeah, totally. So it's an immediate, you know, it's immediate jump up whenever someone is from Wings is associated with the project. I mean, Falling Skies is immediately going to be that much better when Stephen Weber shows. Ooh, I haven't watched it yet. Oh well, we can talk a little bit about it. It's okay. Yeah, but just okay. And Susan, oh, bummer. Suits is just okay as well, I think. Um, hopefully there will be time for it to grow. I'm glad Gina Torres has steady work. Um, I'm not quite sure that she also should be in this show, mainly because she's just there to look annoyed at um, the Harvey character for most of it. So, I mean, we'll see. From what I understand, the second episode doesn't even mention the guy's super memory or take advantage of it in any way, shape, or form, which seems to be the entire premise of this show, right. so we'll see. But I'm not holding out a great deal of hopes that Suits is going to impress me. There's no big performance holding it together like there was with Fairly Legal, mm -hmm. um, which has that great um, performance from Sarah Shaw. Um, so we'll see where it goes. Um, I'm chalking a lot of, lot of the kind of ups and downs of the show to the fact that it was supposed to take place on Wall Street when it was originally pitched to USA. And I think some of the kinks are coming from that. Mm. And the change in locale, no one wanted to watch Wall Street people getting richer kind of thing. Fair enough. So we'll see where it goes. Um, I'll keep watching it just because there's not a whole lot on on Thursday nights. I think it's on on Thursdays. But I think that's when Louie and Wilford are on as well, isn't it? Yeah. They're both on Thursday. They're so, gosh, conflicts on summer. <laughs> There's not enough on for there to be conflicts. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, Walking Skies was just okay. Um, I'm Walking Skies. 
Guys, <laughs> no, see, that's how much Matt's, um, Matt's post has conflated in my head. Yeah. Um, but no, I think Falling Skies is just kind of okay. Um, it's very stock, which is okay, I think. I mean, they can if you do stock well, then there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, they even had rednecks show up and be better with crossbows. They had rednecks with crossbows in Falling Skies. I mean, that's that should be it. And it was just like, oh, okay, so and they're better at hunting aliens than the well-armed folks are. And it's just like, <laughs> is this this really is The Walking Dead, isn't it? <laughs> So, no, I mean, it's okay. Noah Wiley is kind of channeling little bits of the librarian, which is probably how he got... He totally is. That's all I thought about during the whole thing. He's totally the librarian, but in post-apocalyptic, whatever, Boston. And, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, this is how he got the part. I mean, it's the same way that they approached Angie Harmon to do Brazilian Isles, was that she was well-recognized for the Law & Order reruns. Mm Mm-hmm. And no, why the librarian, depending on where you can go back and forth with them, I like the first two. I think the third one was kind of bad. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, the librarian did really well for a TNT as, like, a movie franchise for them. It did really, really well. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that when this script came across them, they just went, no, Wiley, let's do it. And I'm sure that's how he got the part. And he's, he's fine in it. Mm-hmm. And you've got you've got uh, Will Paxton playing stock military guy, mm-hmm. and I like Will Paxton, but it's just very kind of nah, okay. I'm willing to see where you go, but I mean it's nothing super impressive. Bummer. I had read such a nice review of it in the Hollywood Reporter that I was hopeful it was going to be, yeah, I don't you know, that. worth the A lot of there's a lot of great reviews for the show that I just didn't understand. It was just bizarre uh, now I think that they needed about 20 or 30 more scenes where they mentioned that he's a history teacher <laughs> just now, ab- about Nick's deadpanning they mention it pretty much every scene that he's a history professor every scene every scene that he's in and, and he doesn't but like the history professor like professor thing doesn't really enter into like the narrative too much it's not like he's using like tips from the past in order to help conquer the aliens Except that one time he's like, smaller armies have always defeated bigger armies. But that's, I, I yeah, I knew that. That's that's David and Goliath. That's every great war story you've ever heard. So next um, he's going to tell us not to invade Russia in the winter. Oh, <laughs> you took the joke right out of my mouth. It's not like you know his history professorship is helping out anything. So I'm curious as to why they keep mentioning it. Like why, and they keep calling him the professor, and they keep calling him, you know, <laughs> they keep saying, so you're a history professor, right? Like, you know, everybody needs to know his history of him being a professor of history, of American history at that. Um, I just, yeah, anyway, that, that bothered, bothered me. A lot of that unnecessary exposition bothered me. Um, although, and I don't know if, Noel, if you got this at the end of the first part of the, of the pilot, of the end of the, I guess ostensibly the first episode, where the kid starts riding the little skateboard thing, or whatever they call whatever the kids are calling those things these days. So much product placement. So much product placement. Um, where he's skateboarding in slow motion, the violins come up, and everybody's kind of watching, smiling a little bit in slow motion. Did you get a little bit of a lost feel after that? Oh, no, totally. I mean, even the sun was kind of setting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
It was I, totally lost. It was way lost. I can't wait for the aliens to show up and say, we got to take the boy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, I totally so they are taking children. The aliens are they taking are. And, and there's a part where, you know, somebody's hiding in a bush and, you, and he sees people walk by. Like, being led through the forest. I mean, it's, it's a little bit lost. It's walking dead and lost, is what it is. Huh. Well, that's what TV does best. It redoes what it's already done. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think some of this, I think some of the positive reviews for the show are kind of, co- are kind of curved. I mean, I mean, it's the summer. Our expectations come down a little bit. Yeah. Summer fair. I mean, as much as I hate to admit it, I mean, it's true. Well, you I just want it to be kind of fun, you know? You just want it to be mildly entertaining and fun. I mean, did I like Walking, sk- walking Skies? Good grief. <laughs> did I like Falling Skies while I was typing on the computer on Twitter and also folding laundry? Yes. Mm-hmm. But am I going to actually watch Falling Skies on Sunday nights? I don't know. I think I may just wait for it to show up on on my on demand and watch it on like Monday when I'm doing something else. Mm-hmm. It's not great. Mm-hmm. No. That's what I do with uh, Love Bites on the weekend. It's, uh, I, I watch I watch Love Bites while doing other things, which I kind of I might defend a little bit. Like I'm all right with Love Bites. I can't I can't attack it because you're the only person watching it. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Like uh, conceptually, I didn't watch it this week yet, but conceptually, I like the idea of love bites. I like that um, there's a lot of ways for like writers to kind of like you can have guest spot writers come in. You can have there's so many guest stars that come in, and even though the stories themselves aren't necessarily terribly compelling, it's just these little bite-sized like it's almost like nano stories and i'm kind of okay with that at first i didn't i didn't i couldn't hold the i didn't cotton well to the concept but now after seeing it and it's executed in a mediocre very broad way i'm okay with it especially because greg grungberg is in it and i will watch anything that he's in unless it's heroes i will watch just about anything else though that he's in I think they they picked for the people because uh greg grungberg is, um, is one of three or four cast members that are in every episode. And um, even though everything, some of the stories don't take place in Venice, which is where Greg Grumber's character t- is. He's a tattoo artist there. With the world's worst tattoos, by the way. Anyway, he I apparently remember. is friends with a really terrible tattoo artist because, God, are they bad. I mean, there's, <laughs> there's parts of the episode, or one of the episodes, where there's just a giant chunk taken out of the tattoo that he's, that he's supposed to have. Anyway, that's, that's uh, beside the point. What I'm trying to say is that the show itself is good, and they picked good characters to be the co- the common threads. And um, even Michelle Trachtenberg is not that bad in it. I didn't know she was in there. She's a she's a yeah she's come up in a couple of episodes because uh, one of the there's three I think three really main characters that are credited at the beginning of every episode. It's Greg Grunberg, the woman that plays his wife, and then the woman that uh, runs a, a restaurant. She's the she's the head chef of a restaurant, and uh, Michelle Trachtenberg plays one of the servers at the restaurant, and uh, mm. and uh, Guillermo from Weeds also, and uh, he he's in that. So it's like a mercy reunion of sorts. Um, uh, uh. So uh, where was I going with this? Anyway, so because they picked because of the actors that they chose, those three common actors that are always in there. I think that that series kind of it's okay. Like it's it's all right. They they are good enough that they kind of save 
the show, even if the other two, like, there's always three bites, I guess. And then the, the, I think that Greg Grumberg's always kind of saves it. Like, it's his, whatever he's involved in is usually good. Or anything, Colleen, I, God, I wish I could remember her last name. But Colleen is also very good in it. And, um, yeah, whatever they're associated with, usually that one is good. And the other two are whatever. They, they'll have some guests are like Laura Prep on or Donald Face on or something like that. Um, but so that, so that, that part's good. But what I like is that, and again, I'm going to talk about, like, I, I, I am interested in the potential of the show. Like, you know, it's kind of like Twilight Zone that way where you can, it's, it can be different all the time. It can you can always have um, and you don't have to tell like a big long story. You you it's an exercise in trying to establish characters, make you fall in love with them, and then have a, an, an interesting resolution. Sometimes it's about an entire like just a fight between two people. Sometimes it's it's about two people finally meeting. Sometimes it's about people breaking up. It's got it's cool like that, and I I, I kind of dig that aspect of Love Bites. Now the quality so far three episodes in, not stellar. But um, potential is there. That and it, I, I like that there's a show that, that there's a show like that that you can feature maybe up and coming art, up and coming writers. They're on the Universal payroll to come in and kind of write, you know, a ten minute short or something like that. Mm. No, I like the idea of like trying to start an anthology show back again because I mean they they've been dead forever. Sure. Um, I just I mean I hate that. Maybe just NBC didn't have any confidence in the show, and that the execution's not very good. Yeah. Um, from what you've said, but I mean, I like the idea of an anthology show getting support. I think would be really interesting. Mm-hmm. You're making me kind of interested. I, I, I really had not even heard about it at all. Like I just paid paid zero attention. Like seriously, it's something that you could like if you don't feel like we're really watching anything. You don't want to think about anything. You just kind of want to watch. Uh, you know, it, it's like the part of a movie that everybody loves. Everybody loves to see when the couple gets together. That's what the movie. That's what the show yeah. is three times over. Like, and it's all. It's it's like the it's distilling what you what everybody loves about a movie, and or, or show or whatever, and it's just distilling it into little ten minute segments or you know fifteen minute segments. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So. What you're saying to me is that instead of watching Love Bites, what I should really do each week is just watch Love Actually. Exactly. <laughs> it's okay. it, very much so. But you know, you watch the climaxes of all those stories. Climaxes? Climaxes? You watch the, the climax of each individual <laughs> story of that of that movie, and that's what Love Bites is. You just distill okay. down. Like you see, you watch the part where um, where Colin Firth goes to, to Portugal. You see the part where, uh, um, what, whatever, what's her face, uh, where Kira Knightley comes and they, they talk about, uh, you know, how much they like, you, or, you know, whatever, they, where they talk. You take all the best parts of the world, actually, you slam them together, you make it 45 minutes, that's what Love Bites is, except not as good. Hmm. Let's see, now I'm just going to watch Love Actually tonight. Love Actually I, I, is a good movie. I, I, I'm going to write it down right now and see if I... Love bites. Love actually. I, we could have a whole other conversation about it. parts of that movie are great and parts of that movie are much less great. But much oh, no. less great. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. I don't do smalls very well. But uh, since we're talking about NBC, just real quick, I am watching The Voice with the rest of America people. Uh, I, I stopped after the tryouts. You know, it, it is so fascinating. Like I love, um, what's his name? Blake Shelton. Oh no, he's amazing. The guy's made for TV. 
Oh my God, he's so wonderful and he's so cute and so sincere. And I do kind of feel like I'm watching a phenomenon because I'm sure the show will be just awful in its subsequent seasons when people are all jaded and cynical. And but they actually kind of like he really thinks he's helping these two young girls to get somewhere. And you know, there hasn't been too much nastiness or whatever. I I, I hear the criticisms that. Once they got to a certain point, the judges were never critical anymore. And these judges actually have the ability to be critical in a sharp way. Like they, every so often, I mean, they, you, you get much more of a sense of what a singer does from their judging on this yeah. show, even the little bit that they do, than you ever would on Idol. Right. So that's kind of neat. Um, but uh, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of fun. And, and here's the best part. America on this show is not stupid. <laughs> Each time they save the right person. That's what you really like about it, isn't it? I, I like that America's not stupid. Or maybe that's just this, that they're agreeing with me. I'm not sure which. But, no, it is It is kind of, um, it's, it's, I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't say I love it. I wouldn't say I look forward to it. But I'm surprised by how personable the judges have been. And, and uh, it's, I don't know, there, there's something a little freak showy sometimes, and it's kind of fun. I've been ducking in and out of it. Um, like, I've caught up on the show on On Demand one Sunday when I was really, really bored. Sure. And, I mean, I got through, like, the tryouts, and I got through, like, the first, like, couple of battle rounds. And, I mean, I've been watching it, like, sporadically, and it's just, like, I'm not convinced by all of the other musical numbers that they're doing with the coaches. It depends. Sometimes they're good, and sometimes they're less good. Yeah, and it's just kind of like, and I'm sorry, Adam Levine doesn't know who Adam Lambert is. <laughs> I thought he was just being snotty towards American Idol. I don't think he was. Really? No. I don't think he listens to Top 40 Radio. I don't listen to Top 40 Radio either, but I don't listen to radio. Huh. Well, I you know it's 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 not brilliant by any stretch, but it's summertime, right? Yeah. And this is this the show we put on at the very end of the day when we're just going through our emails before bed or something. You know, it's definitely not something I'm watching as it goes. But I they have some strong singers there. Um, as as Drew pointed out, he went and actually got online and looked things up. Um, you know, these these people have had record contracts before. Oh, Dia is a group called Megan Dia, and you know I know people that own their albums. You know, so it's, they, these aren't you know complete newbies, but I kind of like that. I kind of like that they're trying to give people the exposure after a really hard time in the industry of getting yeah. kicked around. And sometimes you know they, the judges pick great songs, and you know I don't know. I I, I have watched Idol and enjoyed it before, so I, I don't mind the talent shows. But I think they, you should be watching Wipeout instead when you're. No. <laughs> And I don't watch any of the dance shows. I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't. I don't know why I turned this one on. But Adam Levine, it comes oh. off as kind of having integrity. I mean, it's really weird what this show does. It's 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 kind of profound that like I actually want to listen to some country music because I think Blake Shelton seems like such a great guy. <laughs> I mean, if he has, a, if he's trying to, you know, the country brand, which generally is, you know, genuine guy, yeah. you know, Americana driving around his truck, he totally you know, gives that vibe out the entire yeah. time. He's incredibly consistent. He does. He's I an amazing that. advertisement for country music. And Christina Aguilera is a wonderful advertisement for her breast. She is not as big of a train wreck as I was expecting, though. 
You know, I really thought she, I mean, with all the bad reports, she had so much bad press. I mean, she should be paying the voice to be on that show. Ah, she should be. You're right. I mean, she's benefiting a lot from yes to rebuild her image here. Because everyone really thought she was an alcoholic mess, you know, abandoning her kid at home, all of that kind of stuff. So this is at least kind of, I mean, I wouldn't say she's charming, no. but she's, she's just not as much of a mess as I expected. And that's, that's, that's actually high praise. And CeeLo, what do you think about CeeLo, then? Uh, I think CeeLo should guest on Glee. Oh, I'm sure he will eventually. <laughs> Everyone will. I'm, I'm slated to appear on Glee next season. <laughs> it's about time. It's about time. Yeah, I think so, saying. too. I'm going to be the guy who hates musicals. <laughs> yeah. Uh, CeeLo's kind of... He's always kind of fun. But. I'm really excited about you being on Glee, you know? I think that you and Corey Barker should sit in the back like, you know, Stadler and Waldorf and just make fun of the kids on stage. <laughs> that is an excellent idea. I should, Corey and I should totally do that. Yeah. Anything else from either of you? Yeah, that's about it. I think that's all I got. Okay. Um, all right. So from us here at Monster Television, thanks for listening. And uh, we'll talk to you not next week, but maybe the week after or whenever we sure. feel like it. You know, you'll stick around. It's for free. <laughs> you can't really complain. So... <laughs> Yeah, see you guys uh, in the future. See you later. Bye. Bye.